Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains, the curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Rizard Lugutko. He is professor of philosophy at Jagiellonian University in Krakow, Poland. I hope I pronounced that not too poorly. Uh, specializing in ancient Greek philosophy and political theory. He was the former deputy speaker of the Senate, Mystery, Minister of Education, and Secretary of State in the Chancellery of President Lech Kaczynski. At present, Professor Lugutko is a member of the European Parliament and chairman of the European Conservatives and Reformist Group. He's the author of many, many things, including The Demon in Democracy, Totalitarian Temptations in Free Societies. He wrote about his experience speaking at Middlebury College for us in the August 2019 edition of First Things, and he also explained why I am not a liberal in the March 2020 issue. His new book is The Cunning of Freedom, Saving the Self in an Age of False Idols, just out with Encounter Books. Welcome, Professor Legutko. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a very strong read. You get to very timely issues while digging deep into the philosophy behind a lot of the uh, conceptions of freedom, the expectations of freedom that we see in the West today. Uh, early on, you note that living in Poland, growing up in Poland, brings you to ideas and books on freedom that come out of the West, what was called the free world in another time, with a different awareness than a person who grew up in uh, Western Europe or in the United States in, say, the 70s and 80s. What different perspective do you have? I would say that, well, well first of all, uh, half of my lifetime was under the oppressive regime, the, the communist system. So... Freedom was the most obvious thing we aspire to, and we express our expectations. Uh, th that was the first thing that uh, came to our minds. What do you want? Yes, you want freedom, because of the fact that uh, freedom was scarce. It wasn't as bad as uh, at the time of my parents' young age, where the system was simply brutal and uh, you, could, uh, you could be shot, you know, and executed and tortured and all that. But still, it was, it was uh, pretty nasty. So, so that, that was the, the, the first, I think, the, the first difference 
I think that people of my age at that time in West European or, or American societies, uh, they took freedom for, for granted. I mean, it's, uh, for, for them, it was obvious that you could say anything you want. Yeah. You could demonstrate uh, and, and all these things. So that was the, the difference, uh, number one. The difference, number two, is that we didn't, we, the, the East Europeans, we didn't go through the uh, 1968 re- revolution. And I myself, watching the '68 uh, revolution uh, on TV uh, and reading about it in the, in the newspapers, I didn't take it seriously. I thought that, well, it's just a, it's just a carnival. I wasn't aware how it heavily influenced the, the, the minds and the, the conduct of, uh, of people in Western Europe and in the United States. Whereas for us, 1968, I was a first year student at that time. There, was, uh, there, were, there were demonstrations in the communist Poland uh, against the government, but uh, we were demonstrating against the, the, the censorship. The, the thing that started it all was uh, the, the banning of the performance of the classic of Polish literature, the Adam Mickiewicz. Now, we were sort of fighting for the presence of uh, literary classics in national culture. That was, I think, something completely different uh, from what was happening at that time in Paris or in um, Berkeley or uh, in uh, West Berlin, it was an entirely different experience. So uh, that is, I think, how how it all started. I mean, uh, when it was at that time when I was started thinking about uh, freedom, and it took me very many years to to write this book and to come up with some sort of. Uh, Conclusions. The book is The Cunning of Freedom, Saving the Self in an Age of False Idols. And that, that, that's a highly ambiguous title. Much of the book is explaining what the cunning of freedom is. You begin with negative freedom, the well-known conception of negative freedom. And the problems with seeing this definition as so primary to what freedom is. What is negative freedom and what are the problems that you find in this over-reliance on just, you know, leave me alone, let me do what I want conception of, of, of liberty? Actually, that, that was the, the, the most direct inspiration that made me write, write this book. Uh, I mentioned it in the, in the preface to the book, uh, uh, reading a very well-known essay by uh, uh, Sir Isaiah Berlin, a uh, uh, distinguished uh, British uh, philosopher and Oxford uh, professor. And the essay uh, made a spectacular career and uh, we read it in the, in the communist uh, country too. Uh, it wasn't translated, of course, but we just managed to get hold of a, a copy of the text. 
And his argument was that it is this this negative uh, freedom that is the, the, the most important. In fact, it's the only legitimate type of, of freedom uh, there is. That is the absence of of coercion. As you said, just just leave me alone. I can do uh, let let me do whatever I, I I want to do. And moreover, what what he said was that the moment you try to uh, uh, somehow uh, change this and uh, add some additional notions of freedom like, like like positive freedom and you say well it's not enough to have a free space uh, you have to be p- prepared for for being free you have to know what you are you have to know what to do you have to distinguish between right and wrong and he he said well it's is extremely dangerous because once you you start thinking about those uh, problems, it will turn out that uh, somebody will uh, take over and he will say, no, you will not have free space because you're not ready yet to be free, because you are not, you're, you're not mature, uh, you're not, uh, you don't have enough wisdom, uh, you do not know what you are saying. You do not know what you want to do. Uh, so we will get control and we will tell you uh, what you should aspire to, and in what way you you should use your uh, freedom. And then Isaiah Berlin, uh, he was uh, uh, looking at the history of Western philosophy and his argument or the, the conclusion was that, uh, that most of the big guys in Western philosophy, from Plato and Aristotle until Immanuel Kant and Hegel, and all, you know, all those big guys, they were in fact, they were in fact dangerous people because uh, they were p- pursuing exactly this type of argument that, uh, okay, freedom, but first you have to think about certain uh, more general framework uh, and the hierarchy of goods and values before you start using your freedom. And then when I read his argument, I, I said to myself, I, I mean, come on, this is nonsense. I mean, <laughs> I cannot, in order to be free, I, I cannot start with purging the entire uh, Western philosophy or the entire Western culture. I experienced some kind of purging myself living in a communist country. I mean, the communists uh, started exactly with the same operation. I mean, they they started with uh, purging our curricula. You shouldn't read this, right? This is nonsense. This is revisionism. This is idealism. This is backward. Uh, This is reactionary. Forget about it. These are dangerous guys. I just thought that one of the good things about freedom is that you are free to pursue uh, the good things, right? The noble things. I do not want to be in, to be purged intellectually right at the outset. So I, I rejected this, this notion of negative freedom as uh, the, the primary notion that you should have as few obstacles as possible, as uh, little... Uh, coercion, right, or constraint from outside as possible. I just rejected it. I, I, I just thought that freedom is good insofar as it allows me to assimilate those good things, right, to, to become better 
to to advance. So so I I, I started I started with it with this, and then uh, another idea came up to me. I mean, if we construe freedom as a as a free space, free of outside intervention, then the crucial question that arises is who will organize this free space right. for the entire society? And and one thing you bring up is as you organize this free space for everybody, if it's genuinely going to be freedom, then we have to ensure that everyone has it and everyone has to have an equal amount. There has to be equality of negative freedom, which again begs the question, who's going to who's gonna do this? Who's gonna do all this? Exactly. I mean that that the moment you 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 put the negative freedom as your aim, immediately the negative freedom recedes and it's being replaced by equality. Because equality seems to be the only criterion potentially acceptable to everybody or to, to the majority, according to which you you divide this this free space. So it's an a negative freedom society is an egalitarian society, and uh, egalitarian society is uh, uh, is a despotic society because you have to have you have to have the the, the authority with uh, very powerful prerogatives that they they can, they can see to it that everybody has the equal space, the equal freedom. And then we have actually what what we have today in most of Western societies. That is, they are over-regulated. Uh, right? I know. Watch what, watch what you say. <laughs> watch what you think. More, more than ever. Political correctness in, in, in my... I, I was in the university for a long time. Political correctness is much worse today than it was in 1990. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it's get, it's get my first my first contact with the United States. My first visit to the United States was early 1980s, and I I could see the the traces of it, but they, I just thought, well, it's 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 on the margin. It's a kind of eccentric, exotic uh, aspect of an academic life in the United uh, States. But no, that, 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 wasn't the, that, that wasn't the case. Yes, because if you, if you say that we have to be diverse, we have to have uh, diversity in a society, we have to have uh, a pluralism in the society, then immediately... There are people and there are institutions that, that will say, well, you have too much, right? You have too little. That has to be changed. Uh, you went beyond your boundary. You have to be punished for that. And uh, the more egalitarian the society, uh, be, equality is like a monster, insatiable. I mean, the more he eats, the more hungry it becomes. That's uh, that's why uh, there are so many enemies of equality nowadays. If you, I mean, you know more about it than you do. But this whole woke ideology in the 
in the in, in the United States uh, uh, that uh, so many people, institutions, corporations, uh, uh, they they are fighting racism. The more you fight racism, the, the more racism you see. So it's, it's a struggle that never ends. And the more, uh, the stronger instruments you have to use to fight, to fight racism, which is no longer something you, you see, but something you have to find and detect because it's deeper and deeper. So you have to search, you know, deeper and deeper and find instruments that penetrate into your thoughts, into your minds, into the the, the language that we use, right? The the expression that you use. So it's it's just scary. What frightens me is the number of people who really know better. They're just willing to go along. You know, they just kind of accommodate themselves to these coercions uh, and and uh, believe that it's not going to get worse. I think there, there's a there's an optimism uh, about it. But yeah, a couple of explanations, of course. But uh, one of the explanation is that uh, well, generally academics, with all due respect, are not the most courageous people in the world. Uh, no. Uh, Having 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 spent several decades in the academia, I know what, what I'm talking about, and I don't think that Polish academics are very much different from uh, New York academics or California academics. And because uh, liberalism and liberal ideology has become kind of orthodoxy, uh, most of the people do not want to admit that there is something wrong with it. They usually try to explain it to th themselves, well, maybe it's uh, is a, is a distortion, maybe there's an exaggeration, that they, they, they went too far, but it's essentially is good, right? And there is no alternative. So you have to just live with it. And there is another explanation, uh, which, uh, kind of appeals to the, the bad uh, side of, of human character, namely that, uh, and I remember it, of course, from my young days under communism, namely that uh, it is a situation where it's relatively easy to acquire power, uh, to get power by tracking down the, the, the traitors, the, the trespassers. Before you are attacked is a preemptive move before somebody attacks you you make a preemptive move and you attack people you are present yourself holier than thou right you you uh, is a, a kind of race in order to survive you have to present yourself as more unblemished ideologically <laughs> than uh, your, your your colleagues uh, it, it's it's a very of course co corrupting uh, uh, situation but it's 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 well this this mechanism is, is very efficient and it's working now chapter 2 has a, a curious title uh, the title is the wretched world of absolute freedom now freedom is good 
Uh, more freedom is better. Absolute freedom has got to be the best. How can this be wretched? Absolute freedom is absolute free free space. And what does absolute free space mean? I mean, absolute free space is uh, living a life of Robinson Crusoe, right, on a on a on a, on a desert island. And uh, there is absolutely no coercion because there are no people who can coerce you. There are no constraints except, well, natural constraints, right? Like uh, you have to eat and, and, and drink uh, in, in order to survive. But, uh, but there are no people who can prevent you from, from, from doing this. And my, my argument is that uh, this is something essentially unacceptable, not like absolute wealth right, or absolute power, because absolute wealth and absolute power may be uh, unacceptable for other reasons. Being a finite being, you cannot consume everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a absurdly unnecessary for you. But absolute freedom is uh, something that contradicts human nature. You link it ultimately with, with, with absolute loneliness. Yeah, absolute freedom is absolute loneliness. And that is something you reject because, well, humans, for better or worse, uh, have been created as uh, social beings. You need some people. Uh, they may irritate you, right? Uh, you may rebel against their presence. You may hate them. Uh, you are constantly fighting for a better organization of uh, collective life. But uh, but living without other other people is uh, is a nightmare. Uh, it's I, I, I say it's like uh, like being in prison is a situation which uh, uh, degrades uh, human nature. You you cannot d develop fully uh, being alone, whether in a, in a cell, uh, in a solitary confinement, or, or whether in a d desert uh, island. Even if this desert island is huge, and uh, you have all paraphernalia, which technical paraphernalia, which you, which you need for your, it's still uh, uh, frightening loneliness. So, so, uh, so absolute, so, so negative freedom is not something that you uh, would like to maximize, maximize uh, as, as, as much as, as possible. There have to be some boundaries, some some barriers. You note that legal decisions that have come down attempting to equalize beliefs about the meaning of life, say, have turned into a, quote, crusade to hunt down the allegedly old, incorrect rights. Is this the inevitable course of the ideal of equality? It's always going to end up becoming a becoming more of a vindictive kind of thing? Yes, I believe so. I mean, equality is, is, is bound to be vindictive or, or generate a, a spirit of vindictiveness. An egalitarian society can only emerge through, through social engineering. And the more egalitarian it becomes, the more aggressive, the, the more brutal means have to be uh, used. And uh, in the tradition of egalitarianism, uh, there was there was always uh, this deep sense of hostility towards hierarchy, and and a hierarchy was thought to be the consequence uh, of tradition, 
if you look at the pictures of state of nature in uh, the uh, 18th century, 17th and 18th century philosophy, in John Locke, in, in Rousseau, in Thomas Hobbes, it's always egalitarian. I mean, if you if you if you start with 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 a state of nature, there's no hierarchy because hierarchy emerges through experience, through history. So it's it's bound to be identified as something conventional. So hierarchy and traditional is 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 the enemy. If you want to uh, achieve an egalitarian society, you have to destroy hierarchy. So you have to destroy anything that uh, is legitimized uh, well, partly or or entirely by tradition, by development of certain collective experience. Now, even the United States, right, uh, was born out of this spirit of uh, equality. Yeah, you, you go to lines in the Declaration of Independence, uh, the, you know, all men endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, uh, all men are created equal. You call this outlandish. Why? Well, because uh, <laughs> the opening statement of the Declaration uh, of in- Independence is we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created e- equal. This is not self-evident. I mean, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very revolutionary statement. It, it doesn't have any justification in... Uh, in logic, it's not an academic, it's not an analytical statement. It's not a statement that is based on some kind of intellectual tradition. It's not an empirical statement. I was just wondering, how can you justify the statement? And the only way to justify this is that we make contract. We found a new nation and we make a decision that from now on, this is our political philosophy. This is the American creed that all men are created equal and are endowed with the creator with the inalienable rights. There is no other justification for this. There is nothing self-evident or obvious or substantiated by, by experience. It's just a, a new political construction. But that has far-reaching consequences. Of course, the, the, the Americans, you know more about it than I do, but, but the, the, Amer- the Americans who, who believe that uh, Europe is essentially corrupted because it's based on hierarchy and, and feudalism and, and tradition and, and monarchy and, and all this is inherently inegalitarian. But, but the Americans were not so uh, doctrinaire about uh, e- equality. They made a lot of concessions to hierarchy. So if we read uh, the, the Federalist uh, Papers, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a corrective to this uh, e- egalitarian uh, creed. And the, the American co- Constitution uh, is not a, a statement of the egalitarian uh, doctrine. It's, it's very moderate uh, about it. And the Federalist Papers, there are a lot of stuff about uh, how e- equality may be dangerous and uh, how... Uh, we should think about America as an American society, as a republic, right? Which is a, a, a complicated con- construction and, and all this. But uh, 
but still, 50 years later, after half uh, a century later, in early uh, 1830s, where Alexis de Tocqueville came to the United uh, uh, States, he saw little of this republican uh, uh, spirit. There is little about it in his book. Uh, but the, the more he observed the American society, the more he became convinced that uh, equality is uh, getting an upper hand, that equality is this force that is winning. And he ends up his book with a, a kind of prophetic uh, vision. And he thought that uh, the entire Western world is uh, taking this egalitarian uh, uh, road. So I think that the, the compromise of this moderate attitude that the Americans had equality as a result of experience for many years uh, somehow seems to be coming to an end uh, nowadays. Maybe that will change in the future. But uh, nowadays in the United States, but also in Europe, let us not forget that Europe is not, it's, it's not the, the Tocqueville's time where Europe was believed to be different, or Henry James's time, where Europe believed to be different. Europe is, is, is pretty much like the United States nowadays. So this is equality, equality running wild now. There's much more in the book. There are profiles of the philosopher, the entrepreneur, the artist, the aristocrat, uh, discussions of inner freedom, the, the non-existent self, the minimal self. Much more to say, the book is The Cunning of Freedom, Saving the Self in an Age of False Idols. Professor Legutko, thank you for joining us. It's my, my pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930. <laughs>